What up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Corner 3 Podcast. This is our uh, second attempt at the post-Christmas episode. We had some uh, audio issues. Hopefully, we're good to go here. Me and Candy will probably talk about it here in a second to make sure we're on the same page. But uh, like we said, welcome back. I hope everyone had a great holiday weekend. Uh, today, we're just going to do a little college basketball recap from the prior week and uh, get into uh, some of the recap of the NBA Christmas games and kind of talk about what we want to see moving forward through the season for the NBA as we get into that latter second half of the season. Uh, I'm Marsh Clayton, with, and with me today is my co-host, Canyon Cole. What up, Canyon? What's up? Uh, glad, to, glad to be back. I think our audio is a lot better this time. So yeah, hopefully. I think we can get into some NBA talk, college basketball talk, and we won't have that issue, uh, that delay. So yeah, hopefully we, we don't have to re-record this episode again. <laughs> yeah, and that was not fun. But uh, anyway, we can uh, hop into some college basketball talk. You can get us going on some things you saw this week and uh, what, you, what you've seen. Yeah, uh, you know, like with NBA Christmas coming – or that already happened, it's more of an NBA-heavy week than it is college basketball. Everybody in colleges is either taking their finals and going home for a couple of days or they've already played their big games. But – that being said, there's a couple things I think need to be hit on from this past week. And uh, to start, I think one of the big ones is Missouri destroying Illinois at home. Um, yeah. You know, Dennis Gates out there, they, un- they were undefeated going into the Kansas game, and then they got obliterated by Kansas. So everybody kind of thought, you know, maybe it was a fluke. Maybe, maybe you know, they haven't really played anybody, and as soon as they play some competition, some bad stuff happens. Then they turn around and play Illinois' top 20 team, and they beat them by 20-plus. So uh, I think this Missouri team's an interesting team to keep an eye on going forward. I don't know whether this Illinois game is a fluke or not, but, I mean, they haven't really played anybody outside of these two teams, and it's kind of hard to get a read on them when the only teams they play that are worth anything have you beat them by 20, and then they destroyed the other one by 20. So right. kind of just a nice little team to keep your eye on. Uh you know, it's always fun to watch programs that haven't been good for a long time kind of find their way back. I think the last time the Missouri program was good was when they had the Pressy brothers over there. And I don't even know what years those were. But yeah, that, was, that was a while back. What is that? Phil and Paul Pressy. Phil and Paul Pressy. Those were some good teams. Uh, I, You know, but I just think it's an interesting storyline to watch it throughout the year as things uh, develop more and uh, Missouri gets into SEC conference play. But that that's one of the big games from this past week. Um, another one I think is kind of notable is the Mississippi State finally picked up their first loss. That you know they were one of the only undefeated teams left. Uh, Jans is getting them up in the rankings. I think they're at number eleven going into this game, and they took an L to Drake. Um, this Drake team's nothing to really scoff at, though. They have a probably a second round NBA draft prospect on their team, Tucker DeVries. Or DeVries, however you say it, he uh, mm-hmm. he's been he's been mocked in a lot of the second round of mock drafts, at least early in the year. I don't know where he's projected at right now, but you know, Chris Jans has that team playing high level defense, and, and again, it's it's really fun in college basketball when programs that haven't been good for a while start turning it around. And both the you know Missouri and Mississippi State, new coaches, new everything, and they're starting to figure it out. It'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens in the SEC come conference time. Yeah, they they they've looked good early, and that that was a weird loss for them against Drake. Uh, like we mentioned, it was the line, the betting line was so weird on that one. I think they were only five and a half point favorites, Mississippi State, and the way Drake has played as a team, like you said, we they have a draft prospect on the roster, but as a team, they haven't looked great this year. So that was my first sign. I was like, oh, this game might be a little bit different than people are expecting. And what do you know? Drake pulls up the upset uh, outright. So that was. Uh, Definitely, definitely notable of after how Mississippi State's looked so far this season. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, other games in the week that are notable, Duke losing to Wake Forest, Miami beating Virginia, and Valtech losing to Boston College, all pretty notable games. Uh, one of the big ones I like to talk about is UConn continuing to win. They beat Georgetown by 10, and it's the closest game UConn's had all year, that 10-point game. Yeah. Uh, I think they've kind of flown under the radar. And, I mean, even they flew under my radar. I remember on our last episode, I gave my four number one seeds, and neither one of us yeah, even neither, mentioned neither one UConn. of us. I know, neither one yeah. of us even talked about UConn. 
I don't even like they didn't even cross my mind. But you know, the more and more you watch that team or just read about that team, they have almost no weak points. They have big man Adama Sinogo in the middle, who's the uh, Big East preseason player of the year. And then you throw the ball into him, he dominates. You try and double down on him, they throw it out to uh, Hawkins out there on the three-point line, and he's just an absolute chucker from deep. But if he's hot, he's going to hit everything. Um, They have – what's his name? Andre Jackson, I think his name is. He's got an afro, big athletic kid that can lock up anybody he guards. Um, And then you got a head coach in Dan Hurley who's just an absolute bulldog. He's like Kelvin Sampson light. You know, he – yeah. He gets in guys, he gets them to do what he wants them to do, and if they don't, he won't play them. So it, that's, a, that's a pretty interesting team. UConn wasn't even ranked in the preseason by anybody. I didn't see them ranked one time. And I think they're currently number two, which in my opinion, I don't understand why they're not number one. I don't Their strength of schedule hasn't been as strong as everybody else's, but they're still beating teams by 15-plus every time they play. Yeah. It just feels cool to see UConn kind of back – on top of college basketball as well. We haven't really seen that since the Calhoun days. And then uh, the exactly. uh, and the guy after him who won the championship, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Kevin Ollie. Kevin Ollie. There it is. There it is. I knew Sergeant O. He's the Thunder. Yeah, I know. I know. I should have remembered that name. That was bad. Uh, I knew it Sergeant O. But, yeah, UConn, it's cool to see with Hurley back, having them uh, back atop the standings and having them playing really good basketball. Yeah, this this is a pretty exciting college basketball season. Just all these programs that got kind of lost over the years are starting to refine their footing. Uh, UConn's been pretty good since Hurley's got there. They just gradually made improvements every year, and it looks like this year might be their breakout. But yeah. that, that's just a team, you know, like I said, we talked about our one seeds and didn't even bring them up. I don't know how that just went by my radar, but that's a team definitely come tournament time if they keep playing how they're playing could be the number one overall seed. Uh, you know, the Big East, no offense to that league or that conference, but it's not as strong as a lot of the other conferences. So if yeah. UConn stays hot going into conference play, they can probably dominate the Big East. And if they do that, I mean, it's like Villanova. They'll probably end up being the uh, number one overall seed if they keep this up for the rest of the year. For sure. I mean, they're number two in the AP right now, and they have the best uh, point differential. Like you said, they're just killing teams and not playing really close games. So mm-hmm. they're out. I mean, their point differential is at 25 right now, and only and right behind them is Houston at 24.4. And then basically, there's no one really within four points of them of those two teams. So those two just, you know, dominating play right now. And the cool thing about that is they play the same type of basketball. They play smash mouth, yeah. beat up in your grill, and work you basketball. And- when you're done playing that game, you're probably limping and you got bruises everywhere. And that's yeah. that's the type of they, stuff I like to see in college basketball. Yeah, not a fun not a fun matchup if you're playing against those two teams. Yeah. Um the last game I want to talk about here, probably after this we'll probably end up wrapping up our college basketball segment. Like we yeah. said, not a lot happened over the past week. But uh, a big one. San Francisco destroying Arizona State by thirty seven points. Things not going so well um, for that Hurley brother. No, well, you know, last podcast we talked about, they beat Creighton. You know, Creighton yeah. was lost six straight. They hadn't won since they got back from Maui and took a loss to uh, Arizona State right before the week ended, which propelled Arizona State to be ranked number 25. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, my God. that, could, yeah. that That's just – and they're just basing off Creighton being good cool. and Arizona State cool. beat them. Cool. For sure. And then I think – Exactly. And I think on Monday is when this game was. So the first day of the week that they were ranked, they were down by like 45 points at one point to San Francisco. And a lot of you people that kind of follow college basketball over the last couple or like really last <clears throat> last year remember San Francisco making a run in the tournament and giving some people a run for their money. This is like not even close to the same team. They have a new coach. They lost their three best players from last year. So this is a rebuilding program with a new coach and a new system coming in to Arizona State's home gym and just r- destroying them by 37 points. Wasn't even close. Uh, yeah, and that's not not the San Fran team that we're used to seeing like in tournament either. Like they, it's not like they have a great player on their squad like they have in recent years. So that made them yeah. They had even last like year. They had Jamari Bouye. Yeah, last year they had Jamari Bouye, and I think he's on the Miami Heat G League team, but they lost, like, everything, got a new coach, and then they just walk in and destroy Arizona State. And 
37 points is like, that's really bad if you're like the last team in Division One versus the number one team in Division One. 37 points is a lot of points. So for the number 25, quote-unquote, team in the nation to get beat by a team like San Francisco by that many makes, uh, you know, old Hurley over there, Bobby Hurley, look pretty bad. I said on the last podcast maybe beating Creighton saved his job, but I think this one right here just kind of sealed his fate. I don't know how they can keep him after this year. Yeah, it's going to take a lot uh, of movement in the Pac-12 for him to save his job at this point. Yeah. But, you know, speaking of Arizona State being Creighton, I think who this hurts more than anybody is Creighton. Uh, mm-hmm. I understand when they played Arizona State, they didn't have Ryan Kalkbrenner in the lineup. But this team just got beat by 40 points to San Francisco, and they beat you at home. Creighton, who's supposed to be one of the best teams in the nation, I, like you lose one player, your team shouldn't fall apart if you're supposed to be that good. Right. Um, they don't have a lot of depth. The guys they bring in off the bench – don't really do anything. So I understand losing Ryan Kalkrenner, who's arguably your best player, is pretty tough. But, you know, they finally won this past week. They beat Butler and DePaul. But those are two of the weakest teams in the Big East. So I don't I don't think things look good for Creighton going forward. I don't think uh, at this point I really don't think they're going to make the tournament. And if they do, I don't know how the committee can justify putting them in. You know, yeah, a lot of the times for – power five conferences that have six uh, losses just at the end of the year. The only way to get in is by winning your tournament and they have six right now. And so I don't, unless they end up winning the big East tournament and getting the automatic bid, I don't really see a way Creighton gets into the tournament this year. Yeah, I agree that, I mean, they got off that hearts hot start uh, in Maui and then haven't won since coming back or they've won one game now since coming back and uh, in a free for all mm-hmm. type type deal and like you said the big east isn't really that strong top to bottom so they're not going to get a lot of quality wins on that resume to kind of boost their boost their tournament tournament resume so we'll see but not 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 great for Creighton so far yeah and you know it's kind of a waste of Baylor Shireman getting transferred there and then uh the Nimhard which Nimhard is that is that Andrew that's Ryan yeah Ryan Nimhart, Ryan Nimhart at Creighton, you know, he came back from a broken wrist. It took them a little bit to get into the swing of things. And then, you know, those those two right there, along with Trey Alexander and Arthur Kaluma, who's also a draft prospect, those four, like losing Ryan Kalkbrenner, you shouldn't lose to Arizona State. It just doesn't make sense. I think McDermott has some stuff he needs to take a step back and look at and see what's going on there. Agreed. Uh yeah, but uh, that right there will wrap up our college basketball for today. The one thing I want to say before we move on to the NBA is shout out the two Oklahoma kids, one at Virginia Tech, Sean Padula, um, arguably that team's best player. They've been playing really, really good basketball all year. Mike Wright or Mike Young over there is doing a heck of a job. I don't know if you remember Mike Young. He was the coach at Walford when they had Fletcher McGee and they beat North Carolina two times in three years. Oh, yeah. Um, he, he's killing it over there. You know, he's got uh, – What's the guy? I think his name's Qatar or Cater. The mm-hmm. Couture, that's his name. He's the other guy for that for Virginia Tech. He runs off a lot of down screens and whatnot. And uh, he looks pretty good. But then Sean Badula, like I said, arguably the best player on the team. Uh, so shout out to him. And then shout out Trey Alexander, my guy out of uh, Heritage Hall. Dropped a career high against DePaul, 32 points. Shout out the Oklahoma Ooh. kids there. I hear balling. Yeah, putting up points. Uh, but like you said, that got, kind of wraps up our college basketball talk, and uh, we'll kind of hop into uh, kind of recapping these uh, Christmas games. Uh, your Knicks had had quite the playoff vibe battle with uh, with the Seventy Sixers on uh, Sunday, and uh, that 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 game, you know, like I said, it felt it had a lot of playoff you know emotions to it. Yeah, make the Knicks great again, Mister. I hate Tom Thibodeau. Mr. I Tom Thibodeau. <laughs> uh, but this, th- these two came into this Christmas game, both teams playing really well. Uh, 76ers are coming in off of a seven-game winning streak. And then uh, the Knicks at the time had won eight of their last ten. Um, and so th- both teams, you know, at playing really well. Harden's kind of found his way with the, with the 76ers. He's kind of changed his game over the last month. And he's became a pass first score second type of guy and, and B's been feasting. But um 
yeah, it was Brunson and Randall kind of leading the way for the Knicks on the other end with uh, R.J. Barrett kind of struggling from the field, 6-21. for 21. Uh, and, and the Knicks kind of led led the game, you know, they were in control of the game for most of the way until the fourth quarter, and that's when the Harden three barrage and Embiid just kind of imposing his will like he does kind of uh, overtook the game in the fourth. Um, Embiid finished with 35 and eight. Uh, and I think, yeah, Harden had, he was kind of vintage Harden. He finished with 10, 13 assists, 5'11 from three, and uh, then the 76ers were able to pull out the double-digit win, or the seven-point win. Uh, against the Knicks, and uh, I, I think in Knicks fans, you're, you're probably disappointed that you kind of blew that one. But but you got to be happy with how the Knicks have been playing as of late. Um, we know we know you, you <laughs> Canyon specifically uh, is not real high on on their postseason chance with Tom Tito in charge. But we have seen the young guys getting the more a little more PT, and uh, Randall has the Knicks kind of rolling right now, even with the loss. Yeah, the uh, the two two of the big points I want to bring up is the whole reason we lost is Georges Niang um, turning into the best player the in the bench. NBA. Dude, dude had fourteen, I think, in the fourth quarter. They just <laughs> ran drop coverage on him after he hit three straight threes. Tom Thibodeau was like, "Make him hit a fourth, and he hit a fourth. Um, that kind of erased. I think at that when he started hitting his threes, I think we were up like eight points somewhere around there, and then he just. Yeah. <laughs> four in a row just lit us up and once that happens I mean the Knicks don't have the offense to combat it you know they have to maintain a lead if somebody goes on a run like that that late in the game we don't have the offense or the shooting to come back from that deficit or not necessarily the deficit but just the momentum we don't have anybody that's going to come down and just like hit a three to silence the crowd you know so yeah that was pretty painful that George Nying is the whole reason we lost or all, he's fifty percent of the reason we lost. The other fifty percent is can we guess? Uh, Tom Thibodeau in general. Is that what you're? Going Tom to Thibodeau in general. Uh, two big things I want to point out that the man can't, doesn't understand is they Philadelphia went to a two-three zone and he drew up the most middle school zone offense I've ever seen in my life and then we couldn't score on it because we don't have shooters and he didn't do anything to get Julius the ball at the high post and so. That right, the fact that he's an NBA head coach who can't coach against his own. I understand the NBA doesn't run a lot of zone, or they haven't in prior years. But as a man that coaches basketball, you should understand how to beat a zone. It's not a very hard concept, so that's pretty disappointing. And then did you did you realize that at the end they were up like thirteen points, and we went on a little run and cut it to seven with a minute left, and then we just didn't foul. Yeah, he just Tom Thibodeau was ready to get to that Christmas dinner. He was not about prolonging that game it was so weird i was i was sitting there on my couch and i was like what what are what are we doing foul 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 a, a minute down seven is plenty of time to come back in the nba and yeah, that's, that's, we forced that's a tough shot time. well and then so in my, i think i'm like oh well maybe he just wants them to force a quick shot and then we get the ball and they don't have to foul well we forced a quick shot and philadelphia got the offensive rebound and then we still did not foul I I don't. It's a seven point game. I don't understand what's going through his mind to not foul there when you're NMSG. Anything can happen, and you just sit there with seven a seven point deficit and let the clock run out. How I don't understand that. That's just like, you know, no pride in your team, anything like that. You didn't give him a fighting chance. I don't I don't yeah. get that. So my shirt, like it says here, make the Knicks great again, fire Tom Thibodeau, hire literally any other coach in the NBA, and I will be okay with it. Just please get Humpty Dumpty off of our bench. I cannot stand watching this man and his terrible hairline run the Knicks into the ground anymore. I can't do it. I don't know what's worse, his offense, his game management, or his hair. I just... It's, it's three. Humpty Dumpty fall off the wall. Humpty Dumpty needs to stay there. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, the the Thibodeau hire was a, was a head scratcher from the very beginning. It and it's been a head scratcher. He had him playing well that two years ago. They made the playoffs at one year, or you know, two years ago. Um, haven't made it since. Um, they, they're I think they're top six seed right now. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, Thibodeau. Uh, I'm sure you're not the only Knicks fan that feels that way about Tom. So, well, you um, know, the bright side is we're paying Evan Fournier seventeen million dollars to not play. So, yeah, that 
Yeah. Oh, that one's just gross. I mean, I, I like what Fournier can do. He can shoot the ball, but obviously, I mean, if you're not getting minutes on Tom Thibodeau, when, who's a vet who loves veterans, you're doing something wrong. Um, Tom, Tom, Thibodeau, Tom Thibodeau would murder his firstborn child for Taj Gibson to be back on this team. <laughs> yeah, he wants like seven Taj Gibsons. <laughs> he, yeah. would, he would love all those. Um, we can move into the second game of the day, uh, Mavs versus Lakers in Dallas. Um, obviously, Lakers are injury-ridden right now with no, no Anthony Davis. Um, that's the main injury they have, and he kind of he obviously makes this team go. Uh, LeBron and Russell are great at what they do, but obviously they're showing their age a lot this year. LeBron just – this is the first year I've been able to look at LeBron and be like, yeah, he just can't take over a game and kind of manage it like he used to. And, and it just it just happens when you're getting older. So he definitely misses uh, Anthony Davis. Though the Lakers got off to a great start in this one. Uh, they were leading by double digits for the majority of the first half. And then and then the Mavs barrage just came on in the third quarter. They put up 51 third, three, third quarter points while holding Lakers to 21, a 30-point swing in one quarter. It was it was pretty ugly if you're a Laker fan. Um, but I was impressed by uh, Luka and, and the way he managed the game. He he ended with 32-9-9. Um, that's a great, great line. But if it, watching the game, you didn't feel it was that – he had that big of an impact. It was, it was a very methodical way of, of winning the game for the Mavs. Um, he, he utilized his, his, his teammates with uh, Christian Wood and, and Tim Hardaway Jr. Both of them were on fire. And uh, Christian Wood, I think, is someone to watch. Uh, he's, he was coming off, this, off the bench as a six-man to begin the season this past week due to injuries and whatnot. Uh, Jason Kidd has inserted him in the starting lineup. And uh, it, it, he's playing a lot better. I'll give him that. He's got a long way to go to be a contributing, you know, very good role player for this team. But th- this was a this is this game kind of showed what he could be for them uh, with with how he played, putting up thirty. Um, let's see if there's anything else I want to. Yeah, Lakers offense obviously was garbage outside of LeBron. LeBron had thirty thirty five of his own. Um, Russell Westbrook I think finished with seventeen, and outside of that there was not any. No other – or no, I'm sorry. It was, yes, Russ, Austin Reeves, and LeBron in, in double digits. No one else put up points. And if you're – like we said, if you're relying on Austin Reeves to help you win basketball games in the NBA right now, it's, it's not, not a good look. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, like you said, LeBron, you know, it's for the first time in his entire career we looked at him, and he he just doesn't have not, – not it, but he doesn't have the ability to just single-handedly win games anymore. You know, his. you look at his counting stats, and they're the exact same that they've always been. He's at his career average of, like, 26, 8, and 8, which is insane. But it's, you know, and people are probably going to hate on this, but you kind of compare it to, like, the stats of Carmelo Anthony. You know, they called him empty stats. You know, Melo would average, like, 30 points a game on those Nuggets teams and the Knicks teams, but what did it equate to? Nothing. You know, they were 500 almost every year in, like, a seven seed. And so LeBron, he's still getting twenty-seven, eight, and eight. But it's like the, when the rest of the team's getting like six and seven points, it's not going to help him. And he he just doesn't have that ability to put his shoulder down and dunk on everybody anymore. He doesn't manipulate the game the same way. And I mean, he's it's his seventeenth year in the league, so it's not like it's a yeah. knock on him. He's his body is superhuman, and he's a superhuman in his own right. Uh, but yeah. When Austin Reeves is arguably your second best player because I think he was more efficient than Russ. So when he's your second best player and you're the Los Angeles Lakers, you're, you're not, you're not getting anywhere. And even when AD's on the court, he's their third best player. And so um, the only reason I want AD to come back now is so that the Pelicans don't get Victor Wimanyama. That's my only worry. Yeah. Uh, I do not want that to happen either. I mean, I love the Pelicans and for what they are, but, that would break the. It feels like it would break the league if he ends up in New Orleans. Yeah, and then on the other end with the Mavericks, you know, you talk about that fifty-one point third quarter. I think two minutes into the third quarter, I got up to go get food, and the yeah. Lakers were up like seven points. And then I sat down and started eating, eating, and they were down fifteen. And I was like, "What? What happened?" There's six minutes left in the quarter. <laughs> Within four minutes, the Mavs just erupted, and you know. I think the big thing about it is 
his teammates finally started hitting shots. And this is just what the uh, like a taste. That third quarter is like a taste of what the Mavericks could be if they right. get a, a slightly above average, you know, like a, a bottom All Star. Yeah. You know, just like somebody somebody near the bottom of the All Star rosters. Just just what they could be, or even somebody that didn't like is right outside of making it. If they could just get somebody who's slightly above above average, then this is what this team could be. But my big fear is that they're going to end up wasting Luca, and I just you know I hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah. We we'll get into. I have a little bit more to say later on about the Mavs and about wasting Luke years. But you're right. They they, and that's the, the what they got from Tim Hardaway Jr. and Christian Wood is is what they're going to need at least to be a contender in the West. Uh, so that's like a baseline of what they need. They need, but they're going to need more guys to step up, especially, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith, Reggie Bullock. But if those guys aren't, are going to continue to be, you know, being slumps, uh, they're going to have to do something before February. Yeah. But uh, Lakers uh, on a four game skid after the Christmas game, uh, Mavs now win the three straight, both those teams in action tonight, uh, which we're recording this on Tuesday. So we'll see. If they, if they can keep if the Mavs can keep it going, um, our third game of the day was the Bucks versus the Celtics, and this one was never really, never really a game. Uh, the, the the Celtics kind of put it on the Bucks. This was this kind of felt like to me a, a statement game from the Celtics, letting the Bucks know like, yeah, we have Jason Tatum, we have Jalen Brown, and we have the mm-hmm. deepest team in the NBA, and it's going to be a, a hell of a battle, you know, uh, coming Eastern playoffs. Um, Celtics win this one by 21, uh, behind 41 points uh, from Tatum, uh, and it was it was a pedestrian game from Jalen Brown, wasn't wasn't his best, and I think he ended with 26 somewhere around there, and he, he wasn't really efficient, but he he, he helped get the job done. Um, Giannis with only 27 points, three assists, uh, nine boards, but this one kind of got out of hand specifically in the uh, third quarter as the Buck, or I'm sorry, the Celtics score 75 points in the second half to reel off the 21-point victory. Um, the Celtics, we've talked about them a lot. I, we, I just, I can't say enough about the Celtics and the, and the, the, you know, the legacy they're building. It feels like a dynasty is being built there with the two stars and then with, with all the role. They've, they've, they've cashed on all the role players and the guys they brought in. They're, everyone knows their role. From Malcolm Brogdon to Grant Williams, um, now they've got Robert Williams coming back from the leg injury. Uh, it's it, this team's going to be scary come April. Yeah, the that Boston team has literally no weaknesses to it. You know, a lot of people thought that when Udoka lost his job and uh, Joe Missoula had to come up and be the head coach, they were going to fall off. But then you really look at the roster, and it's like, man, how could they fall off? I, I mean when your second best player is probably the best player on 20 other NBA teams, it's kind of hard yeah. not to win these games the way they're winning. And the the really scary part about it is I think right now, Jason Tatum is the best player in the league. He's playing that way. Mm-hmm. I think he's unstoppable and uh, he's 24 years old. And then Jalen Brown, I think is also like 24, 25 years old. And, you know, outside of Al Horford, all of their all of their rotation players are under thirty. I think Malcolm Brogdon might yeah. be thirty, but everybody else is under that. So I mean, Malcolm Brogdon's probably got three years of good basketball left in him, and probably more if he keeps being the sixth man that he's being. You know, Derek right. White's like twenty seven, twenty eight. Uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are like like we talked about in the the episode that failed. You know, they are just now entering their first year of their so-called prime you know usually the prime is from like 25 to 29 and jason tatum's 24 years old and he's out here just destroying people i mean it's it's really scary to see or and then we don't even talk about marcus smart the same way as an absolute bulldog he's like he's what patrick beverly wishes he was and so it's just you know there's no weakness on this team uh, defensively with robert williams and marcus smart and Jalen Brown's an absolute lockup defender, and so is Jason Tatum. And, you know, they're bought into that part of the ball. And then you flip it around, nobody can guard Jason Tatum. And if you find somebody that can, that, well, they can't guard Jalen Brown. And right. you find two people that can guard those guys, well, good luck guarding Malcolm Brogdon, who used to average 24 points a game. You know, it's it's a scary good team, man. And in like three yeah. years, it'll be interesting to see how dominant they are. 
Yeah, especially with, with the continuity they can build. Like you said, they have this young core. And, I mean, Marcus Smart, Grant Williams, Robert Williams, uh, Malcolm Brown, those guys all seem like they're in for the long haul. And they know they're – they know, like, they've accepted the role they've gotten with the Boston Celtics. It's not like mm-hmm. they're – those guys are wanting huge, bigger roles. So, this is definitely a roster that could stay together. And, and, and they should be – with Brown and Tatum continuing to get better and better, um, obviously going to be scary. But yeah, uh, Bucks obviously playing really great basketball. They've kind of been in a lull the last week and a half. I think uh, they've kind of had some regular season fatigue just kind of – they they've been to the finals. They've won the championship. They so they I think they have that little coast that you know once that te- once your team makes the finals or gets deep in the playoffs, they have that tendency to kind of coast throughout the play, uh, regular season here and there. And I think that's kind of what the Bucks have kind of been going through. We'll see how they respond coming into the new year. Um, yeah, the the Bucks the Bucks desperately need Chris Middleton back, and so I think they're just kind yeah. of coasting until after the All Star break because I think he'll come back after that hopefully. But, you yeah. know, Giannis, as good as he is, you know, we're seeing it with LeBron now. He can't be the only person on that team. And Brooke Lopez isn't who he used to be. And, I mean, Drew Holiday is not who he used to be. So, like, their second – their third best player right now is, like, Grayson Allen. And that's yeah. an issue. And so, yeah. they, they desperately need Chris Middleton back. But even without Chris Middleton, they're second in the East right now. So, it's not like they're struggling. They just – you know, right. it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see – what Middleton looks like coming back from his injury. I hope he looks. I hope he looks good, and I hope we get a good little uh, rivalry out of these two teams going forward. Yeah, I've been I've been a little concerned about the Middleton stuff because he comes back from the injury right before Christmas, plays a couple games, and now he's out with the same. He's got the, the knee injuries, like kind of re-aggravated. the re-aggravated. So I'm if I'm the Bucks, I'm just like, hey, we're we're top of the East. Like, let's let Middleton get as much rest as possible. Um, much rehab and therapy as possible on the knee, and hopefully he he'll be healthy and ready to go post All Star break. Um, but yeah. yeah, that's that kind of wraps up that game, uh, and we can move into the third or I'm sorry the fourth game of the night, which was another kind of not, not really close game. The uh, Warriors kind of surprisingly uh, took this one from the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, obviously, the Warriors playing without Steph Curry. Warriors have looked awful this whole season, uh, especially when Steph Curry's not in the lineup. Um, they can't play defense. They can't win road games. Um, and luckily this one was in Chase Center in Golden State. Uh, so, uh, yeah, did you, get right did, you see that did you see that statistic that came on the screen about their home and away record? They're like 13-3 and three at home and 2-13 and 13 away. Yeah, it's I was like, awful. good God, I didn't know they were that bad on the road. Yeah, and I mean, and they're coming off the road uh, last week. I think they lost to almost by 40 on the road, and they're losing to terrible teams. I mean, I mean, we're talking like Hornets uh, beating them on the ro- at home. It's just, it, it's ugly. Um, so for the Warriors to come out in this game and get a win, I think that it could be kind of like a, a momentous win for them when we look back in a few months. Like, hey, they kind of figured something out with Jordan Poole and Clay Thompson. Uh, Jordan Poole had a great game. Um, Clay also he wasn't really efficient, but he also finished the game at 26. Um, so those two have to be on point offensively without Steph. Uh, those two are the only guys really that can fill it up on the roster. They're playing with a lot of uh, two-way guys, uh, and then off, obviously Kevin Looney and Draymond Green, uh, Wiseman. You're not you're not expecting those guys to put up even more than 10 points a night. So. Uh, when you need Clay and Jordan Poole to go off. Um, they gave up uh, – the Grizzlies gave up 33 in the first quarter, 40 in the third. Um, like we said, Jordan Poole finishes with 32. Um, it was just a – it was an offensive barrage from, from the Warriors and, and no defensive, you know, want from the Grizzlies. They kind of kind of got beat. You know, they just didn't play great defensively. They had they, – they got – some great contributions from John Morant, but defensively, uh, Grizzlies just did not seem like they were uh, on point in this one. Yeah, I think the uh, the Warriors really took this one personal. You know, they had that John Morant coming out calling themselves a dynasty and things like that. And you saw Clay's post game presser where he said, "I mean, how are you going to call yourself a dynasty when you ain't won anything yet?" And he's completely right. And I love that quote from him because. Mm-hmm. You know, 
I think he went on to say people people don't realize how hard it is to do what like how hard it is to win, let alone win over and over like the Warriors did. And he's right; people don't understand how difficult that is. Um, and I think this game really kind of showed the issues with the Grizzlies and the fact that they're young and super immature. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Stephen Adams is the only vet on that team, and I like Stephen Adams. And I know you love him, but yeah. he. Uh, He's just he's not necessarily a leader per se. He's not a vocal guy. He's not going to tell you what to do. And I right. think that's what the Grizzlies need is a guy that will do that. And, I mean, I think the most vocal person on this team outside of John Moran is Dylan Brooks, and he's an absolute bum. And so yeah. they, they need somebody, like we talked about earlier uh, on the last on the episode that didn't get posted. Uh, they need somebody like the Warriors got when they got Andre Iguodala. Yeah, You know, Andre Iguodala came to that Warriors team and he played some, didn't play a whole lot until the finals, but he like locked them in. He told like he, you know, you could tell when he got there, a, a switch flipped and they took everything so seriously in the playoffs and, you know, they defended their butts off and then they go down and obviously they could score whenever they wanted. But that that's what the Grizzlies need because, you know, as a basketball, as a high school basketball coach in today's basketball world, nobody cares about defense, and it's frustrating. Right. But that, that's that's what they need as a, you know, an old vet. Al Horford, he did it for the Celtics. He did it for the Thunder when he went there. You know, Chris yeah. Paul, same when he went to the Thunder. He need they need somebody like that, not necessarily to play, but to come over and just really, you know, give them a wake up call that, yeah, you can dominate in the uh, regular season all you want, but. It doesn't matter when it comes to playoff time and you guys don't take things serious. Right. Uh, yeah, like like we said, I think that veteran presence would be huge for the Grizzlies because, as you can tell, the Grizzlies like to – they like to – when they're beating somebody, they like to let the, the opponent know about it. They're very vocal and very emotional. And I think – I mean, that's great for the game. and It's fun to watch. But when it comes to playoffs, you want to have somebody that can keep the team kind of in a, in a you know, balanced emotionally because things can swing and things can happen. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what the Grizzlies were missing last playoff round and when they got bounced. It's just like they, nobody kept them from getting too high. Nobody kept them from getting too low in, when, when they were losing or, you know, whatever. So I think, like you said, they need that veteran to come in and bring a defensive intensity and to make sure everyone's locked in mentally whenever they're playing against these great teams like the Warriors who deserve to get their respect. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and, yeah. And talking about the Warriors one more time, uh, you know, I think people underestimate like Clay Thompson and what he's had to go through. You know, everybody's kind of been trashing on him since he came back from his injury, saying he's not who he used to be. And it's like, well, yeah, obviously he's not who he used to be. He tore his ACL, got recovered, and then blew his Achilles. So two lower body injuries for a shooter, which what do you use to shoot? You use your legs. That's how you get shots off consistently. And if you watch Clay Thompson's jump shot, it's probably the most beautiful jump shot I've ever seen, but there's muscle imbalances in his legs now. And so he goes off one more than the other. He doesn't have legs late in games. Yeah. He's not going to be the same efficiency. He doesn't get, he can't plant his feet the same way he used to. He can't rotate his knees the same way he used to. But that being said, you know, he's still probably a top 15 shooter in the NBA. And so, yeah. you know, this, this Warriors team, I think they're going to wake up a lot of people. I think they're going to get like the seven or eight seed. And they're going to come out here, and they have every possibility to be an eight seed that upsets a one seed. And so sure. I think I think if you're in the Western Conference, you're out here like praying, like, come on, Warriors, be a five seed. Please, for the love of God, get to the five seed. Because who who in there – was it the Suns a couple years ago and they got the one seed and the Warriors were the eight seed? Yeah. And it was yeah. the first time ever the Suns got a one seed, and then they, they turn around and they got Steph, Clay, Draymond as their eight seed. And I'm just like, oh, that, that has to be the worst feeling ever. And so, yeah. you know, I think a lot of people are counting them out. But when Steph comes back, if he's healthy, I mean, with, just with Steph Curry alone, they can go on a 10, 15-game win streak and nobody would bat an eye. So I, I think a lot of people are going to get a wake-up call from this team. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, it, it's also funny, like, you hear media and even me, like, I'm even, like, just being watching as a fan, like, I'm like, the Warriors have to figure this out. Like, they've got to get – some wins and start, you know, winning games. But you, then you hear the Warriors talk in post game and they're like, yeah, this is just the ebb and flow of the, of the regular season. There's going to be low times. There's going to be, you know, we're going to go on losing streaks. You can just tell they're very familiar with how how everything goes. 
and that they're really just concerned mm-hmm. with getting into that into the playoffs. They don't even care if it's the tip spot and they have to be in the play. And like they know if they're just in there, yeah. then it's a different, it's a whole different ball game. Mm-hmm. Um, with that, we can get into the final game of the Christmas final game of the night for Christmas games, and that was the Suns at the Denver Nuggets. And this one was probably the most entertaining of all five games. I thought we got some uh, free basketball in overtime um, and just some huge shot-making back and forth from uh, both teams. Um, The unfortunate part was we saw Devin Booker go down in the first four minutes of the game with uh, a a groin injury. It's obviously something he's re-aggravated that he just just missed time for. So hopefully uh, we'll see him back out there sooner than later. But even without Booker, the Suns battled. Um, they got up to a double-digit lead, uh, and then it was the Denver Nuggets storming back in the second half behind their big three of Jamal Murray, Nikolai Jokic, and uh, and Aaron Gordon. Uh, specifically, Aaron Gordon and, and Jamal Murray were really impressive to me in this one. Uh, Aaron Gordon, I just I I never know if he's going to be the big part of the big three guy that we that the Nuggets need him to be for yeah. them to win actual playoff games. You know, he, he can be really inefficient. He can go on these really long slumps. But he was vintage Aaron Gordon throwing down huge, monstrous alley-oops uh, and, and, and also uh, ended Landry Shamit on that uh, poster late in the overtime. Um, speaking of Landry Shamit, he was having a great game for the Suns. I mean, he was – he was firing from three, and which was just keeping them in it late. But uh, Aaron Gordon and Jamal Murray hitting, hitting especially uh, Jamal Murray hitting back-to-back threes late in the fourth quarter to send that one to mm-hmm. OT. And then Jokic, 41 points. Uh, it was just too much, too much star power from the Nuggets uh, late in that one. Yeah. Um, one thing is uh, the Aaron Gordon dunk. Can we go ahead and just outlaw that if you get dunked on, there's any possibility it's a charge call? Yeah, let I, I if they would have called a charge there, you got to fire the ref immediately. And we've yeah. seen it. We've seen the NBA ref call charges there before, and it's oh, awesome. all the time. It, yeah, it, I thought it, they did. The they not call it on that dunk. I thought they called one on that dunk. No, he they, he did get they. I, I don't know if they reviewed it. I know it ended up being a block. They ended up okay. saying getting the end one. And Landry Shamit was that. moving. Yeah, they, luckily they did not call that one a charge. Yeah, I, I think if you get dunked on and you get uh, nuts in your face, then it's automatically a block and you have to go sit on the bench. Uh, you're done for the night. If you get dunked on, you're out. You're off the team. Because that happened in one of our games, in my high school team's games. Uh, somebody went up and dunked, and one of my players shot, like cowered it away from the dunk. And I was like, I swear if that ever happens again, I'm going to take your jersey from you. You do not let those guys dunk on you. Uh yeah. But like you said, Aaron Gordon, Aaron Gordon finally showing up, showing what he can do. Uh, I was never, and when he came into the draft, was never as big on him as everybody else was. He, had, I don't think he has really any like self creation to his game. But you know, you pair him next to somebody like Nikolai Jokic, who can make. I mean, if I was on the court with Nikolai Jokic, I could probably get five points in an NBA game because he's just that good. I mean, yeah. he had forty-one, fifteen, and fifteen. That those are just. I could play 2K right now, and I couldn't get 41, 15, and 15 with anybody. It's insane. It's crazy. And then Jamal Murray, you know, like we talked about with Clay, Jamal Murray has a lower leg injury. He hadn't been Mm -hmm. as good as he was before that injury. But it takes time, if if ever, that they get back to how good they were. You know, like I said, he's a shooter. Uh, People underestimate that, you know, you lose strength in that leg, yeah, but the mobility of your knee after you tear an ACL is just, you know, it'll never be the same. You can't plant, rotate your hips as much as you used to. And so for somebody like Jamal Murray who relies on the three ball, that's a big deal. But he's starting to figure it out. He's starting to come back and get back into the shape he used to be in. Uh, I think a big concern for the Nuggets going forward, though, is Michael Porter Jr., Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, when they gave him that extension, I don't remember what it was. It was five years, over 120 mil, I think. Uh, I didn't, I didn't understand why. You know, he hadn't played in college at all. He played like what did he play? Eleven games in college. Uh, yeah, and then he it was injured in college too. Yeah, he's he had played like eleven games in college and never, and in those eleven games, never did anything special, and then got hurt in his rookie year, and so. I don't understand why they gave him the extension that they gave him. I don't know how you can give somebody that much money based off of how good they were in high school. 
Um, yeah. So, you know, in this game, I think he had eight points, and then he got outplayed by Contavious Caldwell Pope. You know, <laughs> that's an issue. You know, no no, no trash thrown at Contavious Caldwell Pope. I think he's – I think he gets hated on more than he needs to be. He's a really mm-hmm. good 3 and D player on a team like this. But when you're making over 20 mil a year – to be this team's third or fourth option, you can't go out there and score eight points and go over five from three. If you're making yeah. over twenty million, if you're making over twenty million a year in the NBA, that's and it's based off of your ability to score because that's why he got paid that. You mm-hmm. should never score under ten points a game. I don't care what anybody says. You shouldn't. You know, the only thing Michael Porter Jr. was good at in college and high school was scoring the ball. That's why he right. got this money. And then he goes out and goes over five from three and scores eight points and gets outplayed by Caldwell Pope and Landry Shamit. That's an issue. Uh, and then on the other side with the Suns, you know, I don't, I don't really know what's going to happen with them. It's kind of sad how aggressive of a downfall they've had. And when I say downfall, I don't mean like record wise or talent wise, because they're still one of the best in the league in that aspect, but just like as a team, like, I don't think they're going to make it past the second round this year. No matter what happens, they have yeah. no continuity. Chris Ball is a thousand years old. Devin Booker's injured. Macau uh, Bridges is still as good as he's always been, but I mean, he's not going to be able to carry you. Cam Johnson's hurt. He's still recovering from surgery. They have a lot of rifts within the system of, you know, you've seen those clips of Monty Williams and DeAndre Ayton getting into it. McCall Bridges and DeAndre Ayton getting into it, you know, and it's not all DeAndre Ayton's fault. I get it. He didn't want. He's a young dude. He's immature. He got benched in the finals. Um, he signed an offer sheet with another team, and they brought him back. I didn't really understand that move of why right. somebody clearly doesn't want to be in your program, and they sign with another team and you bring them in anyway. I don't know yeah. why you think that'll help in the locker room or anything like that. But you know, I just think obviously they're going to make the playoffs, barring some freak injuries. Even if Devin Booker misses extended time, I think they'll make the playoffs. But I think they're a first round exit. They, I don't that 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 year they were the number one seed. I had a lot of faith in them, and then that next year after, I had a lot of faith in them. I don't really have any faith they even get out of the first round this year. Yeah, I really when, when we talked about the Suns about a month ago in one of our episodes and I was kind of praising them. I was like, wow, they, they're number one in the West, which they were at the time. And it feels like they had kind of moved past the eight and Monty beef and just kind of, or at least winning was kind of subduing that. And Devin Booker was playing like an MVP candidate, but now we look and they've kind of slipped in the standings. Devin Booker is going to be out uh, for a little while. Chris Paul, like you said, is just not the guy he can't help. He can't carry a load. And he's sometimes even a liability on the court now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, winning cures also. If if we start to see them lose a couple games here and there, that you know those those distractions, the eight and Monty beef might heat back up. You know, so it's not they need Booker back really, really bad. He's gonna he could save them from having a very like just a very disappointing season overall. Um, but like you said, I I agree. I don't really even with Booker, I don't know if I see this team uh, making it past the second round in the conference in the uh playoffs just because of the teams around them and just i just i i don't know if this team has enough depth as well like jay crowder's not playing right now uh with them um bridges has been fine but hasn't hasn't taken another step that uh he's he's progressed so well over the last few seasons this season he's kind of taken a step back i feel but yeah so it'll be interesting to see how they pan out with especially without Booker right now yeah speaking of Mikhail Bridges can we go ahead and like acknowledge how bad of a trade that was for Philadelphia do you remember the yeah. trade that they did for that what what yeah what was the trade because like, I, it I was, didn't hear it again it's probably terrible it was Mikhail Bridges uh the 76ers drafted him originally and they traded yeah. him to the Suns for I can't remember the picks but they traded him for like a pick or two and Zaire Williams who not Zaire Williams Zaire Smith from Texas yeah. Tech, who I don't think has played an NBA minute. I can't even find him on Tuesday. Uh, that, and when the trade happened, it was like, well, Zaire Smith got all this potential. He's a freak athlete. And it's just like, yeah, you know who else was a freak athlete with potential? Michael Kidd Gilchrist, and he was awful. And that's, you yeah. know, that's Zaire Smith. He, I don't think he's – I haven't seen anything – I haven't time seen him on the court. Yeah. And then you look at Mikhail Bridges making $21 million a year now, who's probably – top five defender in the NBA and just an absolute yeah. difference maker on any team he plays. Uh, 
or any team he would play for, he'd be a difference maker. That's just – could you imagine the 76ers right now with James Harden, Joel Embiid, that's, Tobias, Mikhail Bridges, and Tyrese Maxey? That's exactly what I was about to say. I was like, that team – I mean, that's a totally different conversation we're having about the 76ers. Right now I feel like they're a playoff team, but they're not making it to the Eastern Conference yeah. Finals. But with Bridges, I mean, he would add a dynamic to that team that would make them – but right now they're having to throw, you know, 20 minutes a night or whatever to P.J. Tucker, who can't score an NBA bucket anymore. He can't no. shoot anymore. Yeah. <laughs> His NBA three-point uh, uh, shooting skills have went have dwindled to nothing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that would be that would be a great, great spot for uh, Bridges. But, anyway, um, to kind of finish off this episode, I think we had some New Year's resolutions, some things – and we're kind of just kind of gearing this to some things we want to see from the Knicks, some things I want to see from the Thunder, and then maybe something around the league that we want to see from a player, from a team. Uh, I'll let you go first, mm-hmm. and then I'll I'll give you one, and we can go back and forth. All right. Uh, my big one, my first New Year's resolution for the Knicks is in the year 2023, please find another basketball coach. <laughs> please find another basketball coach. I don't care. If we fire Thibodeau and we bring in Johnny Bryant, if we promote him, I like Johnny Bryant. I think he'd do better than Tom Thibodeau. Just, I think anybody in the NBA right now would be better than Tom Thibodeau, because you know you mentioned, oh, he's finally playing the young guys. Marshall, he didn't have a choice. If he doesn't play the young dudes, he's losing his job for sure. And so yeah. he's like, I think he sees the writing on the wall, and he's like, oh, better start playing the young dudes. And oh my God, look what happened when you did that. We won eight they straight games. They start winning. They start winning. Yeah. It, it makes no sense to me how the man still has a job after starting Alfred Payton for an entire year. Um, that, that that was the most bizarre thing I've ever seen is we were in the playoffs and he started Alfred Payton and Alfred Payton would only play four minutes a game. Like what, why are you starting him at that point? Anyway, but that's my resolution is that the New York Knicks find a new head coach and it can be anybody ever. Anybody ever. I will take David Fisdale again over Tom Thibodeau. <laughs> Hey, I know, I know. Yeah, where is David, where is David Fisdale nowadays? You know, he's an assistant. Oh, yeah. I don't remember where. He's an assistant somewhere. I couldn't tell you where now. Uh, but yeah, that's that's a good one. I I agree. I think I think that would be it. Would just be best for the where the Knicks are right now to part ways with, with Thibodeau. Um, yeah. My first resolution is for Josh Giddy on the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, who's who's I. I preface this with Josh Giddey's had a sophomore, somewhat of a sophomore slump this year. He's kind of, you can tell that teams have kind of figured him out how he played his rookie year. There's a lot of scouting tape out on him. And, but since December, he's kind of been playing a lot better the last month or so. And my resolution for him is to shoot 35% or better from three uh, for the rest of the season, uh, starting in 2023. Um, He, right now on the season, he's 32.9%, so almost 33%. Not terrible, but uh, he could be a huge lift. It could be a huge lift to the Thunder team if he could just up those percentages even by two or three notches. Um, he shot four, He shot 47% in the month of December from three, and it was beautiful to watch. It's You can tell that he's working on his shot with Chip England, the, the shooting coach in Oklahoma City. It's something that he's he talks about a lot in his, in his press game conferences. Um, so just to continue to see that percentage move up to 35% uh, over the latter half of the season would be incredible to see. Yeah. I, you know, I like, I like watching Josh Giddy play basketball. I really like everything he does. I was a huge fan of him in that draft. I, even when, you know, the thunder took him and everybody was like, that's quite a reach. I remember I told Kyle, our buddy Kyle, I was like, I don't know, dude, I really like Josh Giddy. Yeah. And so yeah. the only issue is I think his jump shot looks, uh, his jump shot looks painful to shoot. Like it, it yeah. literally gives me like uh, Markel Fultz shoulder injury vibes because like <laughs> he like brings it up and then he like readjusts at his chest and throws it and splits his legs and it's just yeah. it looks weird it looks painful to shoot he needs to get in the gym with you know I'm not dissing your Thunder coach but it seems like every year the one thing you hear about the Thunder is that they need a perimeter shooter and so yeah. he needs he needs to get in the gym with Drew Hanlon I mean or somebody and just figure out the just the mechanics of a shot and just I think if he just gets rid of the hitch that he has it it'll bump him up a percentage that hitch yeah when you have two motions in your shot there's so much room for things to go wrong so right you know I like Josh Giddy and 
usually I'm not one to uh, support anything that you like, but <laughs> I really hope Josh Giddy gets it figured out. I'd like to see what he looks like with a three-point jump shot. Yeah, me too. I, and I think, like, with in, in today's league, like, he's going to need the three, and it, it could unlock so much, so many other things he does well. It, it, could, it could take Giddy's, like, the p- type of player he is to another level. Another, I mean, he... He's well, right now. He's we we don't really know what he's going to be in that with that shooting. It could could unlock something. Yeah, especially if he wants to be with the Thunder like long term, or if he's in yeah. the Thunder's long term plans. Because like Shay Shay can hit outside shots, but by no means is it the best part of his game. Right. You know, but like if if Josh Giddy gets to like thirty seven, thirty eight percent in the next two years, like that duo is just going to be unguardable because Shay can do whatever he wants inside inside of the three point arc. And then right. you get the ball to Josh Giddy if he can run a pick and roll and come off of a pick and roll and they go under and he can hit that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost an unguardable team. So, again, I'm not one to usually support anything that you like sports-wise, but yeah. I really like Shea. I really like Josh Giddy. I hope they can get it figured out. Yeah, a little honor honorary shout-out to Buddy Hill and Trey Young. Those are two things you, you absolutely despise yeah. that I used to love. When we get done with these resolutions, I have something to say about Trey Young. Okay, yeah, we need. Uh, yeah, I know we we need to have a Trey Young conversation. We, that's maybe another episode with the one thing in Atlanta. But uh, my second resolution uh, is Trey Mann, and I just want him to find his role on this Thunder team. Uh, he's also another guy struggling in his second year. Got demoted to the G League for a couple games, and he dominated like he should in that G League. Uh, put up 40 and 35 in two different games. So I just, my resolution for him is just to find, solidify himself in a bench role and in, in, in getting 15, 20 minutes a night, playing consistently well, uh, scoring for them, put, giving us an offensive uh, little like surge off the bench. That's my second resolution. Yeah. Trey Mann, you know, another dude that I was huge on in that draft. Uh, I told Kyle and I told you, I wanted the Knicks to draft Trey Mann really bad. I liked his game. I liked everything about him. I didn't understand why he was so, you know, not talked about. He was skinny, had a small frame, and I get that. But, I mean, so is everybody else that's good in the NBA right now. And so I didn't understand why he was hated on so much in his pre-draft process. But that's another person. You know, like I said, I don't support the Thunder. I don't support teams you like ever. But, like, Trey Mann, Josh Giddy, both dudes I wanted on the Knicks, and I hope they get it figured out. I really like – Trey man, dude, he's he's so smooth uh, yeah. with everything he yeah. does. I think he's got real potential to be a Ben Gordon, Jamal Crawford type of player. Don't get me too excited. Don't get me too excited. <laughs> I would love to see a little Ben Gordon uh, on the bench. My uh, my second resolution was uh, R.J. Barrett figures out a mid range game. Uh, you know, I think. His three-point percentage doesn't reflect how much better his shooting is this year because, I mean, he started the year like 0 for 20. And so yeah. even if you make like your like 10 out of your next 12 shots from three right there, you're still like 10 for 32, and that's a bad percentage. So I think his percentage is kind of hampered by the beginning of the year. But his shot looks a lot better from three. Uh, he's kind of like Josh Giddy in the fact that he has a lot of extra motions or he had a lot of extra motions mm-hmm. in his shot. And he's starting to figure it out. He works with Drew Hanlon. I just I hope he can figure out that three point shot on another level. But right now he's just really struggling to get into the rim and finishing because teams know he's not going to pull up. So as he gets to the basket, which he's one of the best at in the league at getting to the basket, yeah. he'll get in there and then they'll just drop like they just back up and let him come into the paint and wall up because they know he's not going to stop and pop or he doesn't even have a floater game right now and. Right. If and, you know you watch a lot of this pre-draft stuff, and that's all they talk about is like people's float game. If they if they can come off screens and hit those floaters, they're going to play in the NBA. And RJ's got good touch around the rim, and his three-point shots coming around, but he's got no touch anywhere in between. So my New Year's resolution for him is hopefully he can get to a point where he's hitting two to three middies a game. Yeah, and RJ Barrett's someone I've been impressed with this season. He he's kind of, for me solidified himself into the Knicks' core future, like. He's played really well enough to you want to keep him next to Brunson and, and Julius Randle moving forward. And something I've noticed, like you said, he, he's great at finishing around the rim when he's able to, when when teams, you know, are, you know, they're scouting against that now. So if he could develop that mid-range, mm-hmm. that'd be 
break because he's so crafty in the pick and roll already. And he's able to create that space and create, you know, uh, space for him to get his shot off. So uh, him being more consistent in that area can just unlock another level for him as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so I think we have one each more. Uh, my last uh, resolution is, and like we talked about earlier, was with the Mavericks. Uh, and literally, do not screw up the Luka years. Um, the Mavs, I yeah. think you've seen, we've seen enough from them this year that they, they don't have the roster to make another deep run right now like they made last year to the Western Conference Finals. And even if Tim Hardaway Jr. and Christian Wood play like they did on Christmas, like that's what you're going to get from them, they still, at the very minimum, need another 3 and D guy or another, or even another ball handler off the bench. Um, and uh, like we said, we talked about it in the last episode that we didn't get to post. Uh, Bradley Beal would be a great, uh, yeah. would be a great, I feel like he'd be a great fit on this team. Um, getting him from the Washington Wizards, who are blood, are just in love with Bradley Beal and are gun-ho on making him work there. Uh, and that's another story if you can get him from Washington. But uh, like today, we've seen the Kyle Kuzma trade. I don't know if you saw trade rumors kind of swirling on Twitter today. It seems like he's kind of wanting out of Washington. And uh, for for a while now, Washington has been needing to blow it up. So who knows? Maybe Bradley Bill will be on the market. But for the Mavs, they just they need to find another ball handler or 3 and D guy that can kind of put them, kind of raise them up in the standings and help them get more wins. Yeah, I I think Bradley Beal is like the dream scenario for them. But I mm-hmm. even think like I think even Kyle Kuzma would bring this team to a whole nother level. Yeah. Just just yeah. the dude that just the dude that you can give the ball to and he can go get a bucket consistently. You know, he's not gonna score forty points, but a dude that can average twenty points next to Luca, like that that would bring this team to like an automatic four seed every year, in my opinion. You know, and I'm looking at this at upcoming NBA free agents, and I think we talked about it last time. You know, Chris Middleton has a player option. I doubt he declines it. I wouldn't decline it if I were him, especially coming off of an injury. But, like, that would be an insane fit. I think Fred Van Fleet would be a yeah. really good fit next to Luka. He, you know, he's kind of like Jalen Brunson was next to Luka, but uh, Fred Van Fleet's a better defender, and he's a better shooter. So I, th- I think that'd be a good fit. And I think one that nobody really talks about is Miles Turner. I think Miles Turner would be great next to Luka. Not not necessarily to bring them to another gear, but like if you get like Kyle Kuzma and then sign Miles Turner in free agency, like that that right there is like a three seed automatic, a, a rim yeah. protector who can stretch the floor, and then you got a guy that can score twenty points a game, and then you put Luke out there with Tim Hardaway Jr. and Dorian Finney-Smith. That, that's a good team. I like that team, but I just you know like we talked about. I hope we don't see this guy wasted because he might be one of the best basketball players like ever by the time that it, I think he will be one of the best basketball players ever by the end of his career, regardless of if they waste him or not. I just hope that we see him with other capable players around him and not stuck with Spencer Dinwiddie for the rest of his career. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Spencer Dinwiddie is a good enough player still like he's still seen as a good enough player to most GMs and and organizations that if you throw him in with like a couple first round picks from the Mavs, you could basically go get anybody you still need to put around Luca. It's not like they don't have mm-hmm. assets to throw around. So uh, yeah, that's, and I was listening to a NBA podcast today about, and they were throwing, talking about how Luca has potential to break the, the Dirk scoring record. Dirk's put up 31,000 points while playing for the Mavs. Like, you know how long Luca would have to play for the Mavs and, and to break that, that, scoring record and so that just kind of shows what everyone thinks about Luca and what he can be uh only 23 24 years old he's just an incredible talent so hopefully the maps figure that out for sure yeah I agree uh one of my my last one here is uh that Nick's Twitter kind of realizes like what actual basketball is and they don't just look at box scores like that's my new resolution is basically Nick's Twitter grows up a little bit um, obviously you're a Thunder fan, so you're not on Nick's Twitter and uh, it's all yeah. I see and it frustrates me to no end that like at the beginning of this year, when Julius was kind of struggling and the team was struggling, that everybody was like, 
trade him away, give Obi Toppin all of his minutes, blah, 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 blah. And now that we're winning and Julius is playing like he can normally play, I haven't heard. I understand Obi Toppin's hurt right now, but there hasn't been one thing about Obi Toppin in like a, two months that I've seen. Uh, yeah. Again, you know as well as anybody, I despise Obi Toppin. I don't understand why he was drafted at number seven. He has no NBA skills outside of dunking the basketball. Um, and he's like 48 years old. I don't I don't understand why they drafted him there over the likes of Tyrese Halliburton and all those dudes. That's another story. Uh, I just I, – I get tired of seeing all the Julius slander when he's clearly our best player. And, you know, he can go out there and go like eight for 30 from the field, but he gets like 23, 10, and seven. And everybody's like, get him out of here. And then R.J. Barrett goes six for 21. Like on Christmas yeah. Day, and no one says a word about it. Like, either hold everybody accountable or shut up about Julius. I'm tired of that because yeah. Julius is the best player that the Knicks have had since Carmelo, and we're just going to run him off and not get anything for him. We're going to end up – if we trade him, we're going to end up getting like a like the bottom 20 pick in the NBA draft or a second rounder for him. Nobody's going to want to trade for him because they're going to see how much that the Knicks fans don't like him and his value is just dropping. I don't – I just my resolution is that Nick's Twitter kind of grows up and watches basketball a little bit and realizes that Julius is a good basketball player and our team is not hampered by him. He's hampered by our head coach. Yeah, and I agree. He's he's not the most like fun to watch all star play out of the NBA. So I think that's also he gets kind of kind of gets like un, unfairly hit for that because I mean he he's not like a three point guy. He he play, he, he plays bully ball for a lot of the games. So, which, I mean, he, that's exactly what the Knicks are all about is, is bullying teams. So uh, hopefully your, your, your fan, your fans on Knicks Twitter will uh, figure that out. But, you know, even talking about the, how aesthetically he, like it is watching him, how much better would he be to watch if there was one person on the Knicks court that could hit a three consistently? Yeah. Maybe. And it's been that way since we started with free agents. Yeah, since we signed him a free agency, the two best shooters we've given him are Reggie Bullock and Evan Fournier. And it's like, everybody's like, oh, he just drives in there and there's no spacing. Yeah, there's no spacing because nobody, there's no shooters on the court. That's why, that's why I didn't like the Jalen Brunson signing. Yeah, it's paying off, but I just think somebody else would have been better in the long run because he can't shoot from three consistently, RJ can't shoot consistently, and Julius can't. Quentin Grimes is maybe having a coming out party and hopefully he can get to the 40% mark. And then I think things will open up a lot more, but for a guy that thrives in the mid range, it's hard to go score the ball when there's, we're probably the worst shooting team in the NBA, just as far as our starters go. Yeah. Well, with that, I think that's enough on our new year's resolutions. Uh, we'll kind of, we, we can look back at these later on in the season, see how everything's turning out. I'm interested to see what, how uh, R.J. Barrett looks from mid-range later on in the season, Trey Mann, Josh Giddy. Um, so I think we can wrap up our, our post-Christmas episode. Um, we want to thank all our listeners for listening, continuing to listen, continuing to rate us. Um, we'll be back next week with more. Uh, we have a lot more college basketball getting started with the conference play, so there's a lot to talk about there. And uh, the NBA season, the second half part of the season is getting underway, and uh, we're kind of turning on along to all-star breaks. A lot of good stuff happening. Anything yep. from you, Canyon? Sounds good. All right. We're out of here. I'll see you, Mark. All right. See you, man.